Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Stillman here. And today I am extremely excited to bring to you a Monday Masterclass with some information that has helped me to make sense of some of the things that I've been seeing in my career as an individual, a person, a consumer, a patient, just a person here on planet Earth, as I feel like I watch the world collectively lose its mind. And the the headliner today is copper, which I love talking about. And uh, uh, before I get any further, I want you guys to know I have a hair tissue mineral analysis webinar coming up with my friend Clark Engelbert. That's on Friday. Uh, if you're not already on the hair tissue mineral analysis course that we run, which is called HTMA Secrets uh, waiting list, you want to go find that wait list right now and jump onto it. If you're interested in taking our course, the wait list has access to the course right now for enrollment in the next group. Enrollments enrolling quarterly. So if you don't get in this time, you've got to wait another 90 days. And uh, we've had rave reviews. Those are coming too. We're going to record those soon. But I want you guys to know that that's opening up. It's going to open up for everyone on the email list at Stillman Wellness early next month. About February 2nd is when we're going to roll that out after the webinar. And February 2nd is when the webinar is. But I don't want any of you watching this video to miss out if that's something that you're interested in, particularly as a result of this video, because I'm going to talk a lot about copper and the confusion that copper is causing. And in fact, how I'm very certain that copper intake today is definitely uh, contributing to dementia. So the, the question came up recently on a call in our hair tissue mineral analysis course, you know, how much copper are we actually getting from uh, copper in our food from copper sulfate as in pesticides? Many of you may not realize this, but copper sulfate is a pesticide. It is approved for use in organic food. And it is one of the pesticides that organic farmers rely upon to, um, so Patrick, if you keep watching, I will explain that question to you in a minute, but it, it requires some setup, right? Um, okay. So copper sulfate is a, uh, uh, it's an organic approved pesticide. Um, which means that organic farmers use it a lot. And because organic farmers use it a lot, it accumulates in soil. So all of a sudden you have soils that are full of copper sulfate. The farmers are still spraying it because it's got to be on, say, the wine grape in order to prevent the mildew or mold. So you have these plants that are going to be getting more copper from the soil because there's more copper in the soil. They're getting copper sprayed on them that's making the soil worse. And this all ends up leading to more and more copper on and in our food. And then it gets into our waterways. You'll even get copper from copper piping in homes, which is very common. So all in all, people are definitely being exposed now to more copper than they were in the past. Okay. So this is a really interesting article and it's happens to be at the genetic literacy project, which is basically an apologist group for GMO foods. I think I didn't look too much into them and they have, they are apologists for glyphosate, which I think is it's, it's a terrible product. It's dangerous. I don't condone its use, but their article on this is really interesting. And I, one of the things that I think makes me different from most of the other people I see out there in my space who style themselves as experts is that I will actually read my critics. And I think it's very important if you're going to be intellectually honest to read your critics, look at their arguments against what you're doing and give them their due when they're right. And these people are right about copper sulfate, in my opinion. So what is copper sulfate? How does it work? So it works by binding tightly to proteins in fungi, algae, and other organisms. And then it causes the cells to leak, killing the target and some non-target organisms. It's often used in a Bodor, Bodor, Bordeaux mixture where hydrated copper sulfate is mixed with lime, calcium hydroxide to neutralize the copper compound and reduce plant damage. This is a very important point that most people 
would glaze over that actually matters in human biology. If the pH, which is what calcium hydroxide is manipulating in this context, if the pH of the and chemical mixture that the copper is being uh, applied in will change how it affects life, doesn't the way you consume your copper, pH, other nutrients that are coming along with it, doesn't that affect how the copper is going to affect you? I would argue strongly that it does, but it is an extremely difficult thing to study in vivo, meaning in actual living people. So it's the kind of thing that people will just say forever, like more studies are needed. I don't need any more studies. I know what to do about my copper intake, and I'll explain what that approach is as we go. So this can also persist through rain and stick to plants, which also causes some of the environmental problems both farmers and regulators have seen. And that's very important, right? If it persists through rain and sticks to plants, how much copper sulfate are we getting in our diet from the copper sulfate that organic producers are putting on their food? I have big problems with organic. If you don't know this and you love organic food, I, I, I try to buy organic food. But to be really clear, the organic movement has been co-opted by the same bad actors who created chemical farming. They're not in it to make organic better. They're in it to use organic to increase their profit margins because they know that well-meaning consumers are not yet hip to the way that they've completely gamed the system to make organic food only slightly or marginally better. And maybe even in the final analysis with this copper sulfate thing, worse than some of their alternatives, right? Which is why I don't freak out when I don't eat organic food. I don't lose my mind. For all we know, the non-organic food you're eating is better than the organic food next to it because of small things like this that don't seem to matter, but I guarantee you will in the long run. Okay. So they asked the question, does organic mean safe? Question mark. Not in the case of copper compounds. Okay. So just because organic compounds are organic does not mean they are safer. I actually agree with that. In fact, organic copper products are one of the most toxic chemicals used anywhere in farming. Studies show that soil copper in conventional and organic vineyards are, had lower soil microbial activity than are in organic vineyards, which had higher copper concentrations than in conventional fields. Highest concentrations were measured from vine leaves. Copper cycling is very slow, so it can accumulate in large amounts in the soil over time. That's very important. It means that if you start dumping copper on crops 30, 40, 50 years from now, you may then see that copper increasing in the plants because it's increased in the soil. And you may not even realize that that's having big effects on the human population that's eating that food over time. Again, difficult, if not impossible, to really demonstrate this robustly the way we would like to. But in a case like this, we can't make all of our decisions based on perfect data. We have to act from an empirical uh, and preventative, or a, we might call it the precautionary principle, would be applicable here. So copper compounds don't biodegrade and can essentially kill the soil, rendering it useless if not properly managed. It is bioaccumulative, meaning it can build up to toxic levels in the soil. In fact, many organic wine growers in the U.S. and Europe, including France, have opted out of their organic designation in order to use alternatives to copper sulfate fungicide. Their fears? Accumulation of the chemical in the soil. I have to say, this agrees with my experience talking with small farmers who have or may be organic. Oftentimes, the process to get and remain organic is too difficult and onerous, and they give up on it because they can't, they don't have the profit margin to do it. And also because the organic standards will sometimes pre prevent them from using something that they consider to be the lesser of two evils. And if you're sitting here as a consumer or sitting wherever you are as a consumer thinking, well, why don't they just really do organic right? I got to tell you, talking to these farmers, they've told me even back in like, you know, 2015, 2017, when I was still, you know, beginning as a doctor and I was in medical school, 
they would they would have been pricing their chicken at like eight dollars a pound. That was back when you could get chicken for like a dollar, a buck fifty a pound. Now it's three bucks a pound. For all I know, the organic chicken is like fifteen bucks a pound now. I mean, like really organic, one hundred percent grass fed, free range um, heritage breeds of chicken has got to be really expensive. So. According to the European Chemical Agency, copper sulfate is very toxic to aquatic life, is very toxic to aquatic life with long-lasting effects. It may cause cancer, may damage fertility or the unborn child, is harmful if swallowed, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Moving on. Um, this part was really interesting. I don't know why my, my app didn't highlight this. So it is toxic to honeybees, and a study showed extreme toxicity to bees in tropical environments. It was carried out in Brazil where copper sulfate is used as a sprayed fertilizer to provide heavy metal nutrients to the soil. In addition, and unlike glyphosate, the European Chemicals Agencies has declared it a carcinogen. Research has associated it with kidney cancer in particular. All right. Interesting, is that not? All right. Where is it used? All right. So copper sulfate, or bluestone as it's called, is used for a diverse array of industrial processes, but about three quarters of the 275,000 metric tons made every year is dedicated to agriculture, which prompted me to ask the question, how much copper sulfate is the average person going to be exposed to in the average year, right? So 275,000, right? 275,000 metric tons. Three quarters of that is 206,250 tons. Grams of copper sulfate used in agriculture. So you multiply that by a million because there's a million grams per ton and you get 206, whatever it is. I think that's a billion, but you know, who's counting? There's nine, let's call it 9 billion people on planet earth. I haven't checked recently and it kind of is academic, right? This is just for the sake of, you know, hypothesis. Grams of copper per person per year used in agriculture. 22, almost 23 grams of copper are used per person per year in agriculture. It sticks to your food. We don't know how much and it bioaccumulates in the soil. Okay. Milligrams of copper per person per year. We don't measure your intake as an organism of copper in grams. As we're going to talk about in one of these papers that I'm going to go through in a minute, the average person's intake of copper more or less is about 1.4, 1.5, maybe two milligrams on a good day. Right? So that means that in a year, 22,916 and 6.67 milligrams of copper are being sprayed on your food. And that's assuming that all the copper sulfate being used is equally distributed across the population. I guarantee you the vegans and the vegetarians are getting the bulk of it. I guarantee you that the people with backdoor gardens are not getting any of it, at least from that source. I guarantee you that the people who are not in the first world where pesticides are used all the time because they're cheap, they're not getting this copper. So for all you know, if you're watching this in you know, a comfortable, urbanized, uh, or even suburban area, right? And you're shopping at the grocery store and you live in what we would call first world country, right? This copper's for you. So if there's like, call it 6 billion people on the planet living in poverty who can't afford pesticides for their food, and there's 3 billion people who can, that might be triple the amount of copper per year for you. How many milligrams does that break down to for you per day? 62. Wow. And we measure your dietary intake in grams with a single digit. 
So to my knowledge, no one has really quantified. I mean, I'm sure somebody in the agricultural sciences has quantified how much of this is getting to the consumer. But one of the things I want you all to realize is that the people guarding this hen house don't want for this to be a problem. Because if the consumer went out and said, oh my gosh, I got to find out how much copper sulfate's in my food. I'm going to go send my strawberries to have them analyzed to see how much copper sulfate there is. That would create a huge problem for these industries. The foxes guarding the hen house, as you probably realize with the regulatory agencies, they don't want you to know how bad things really are because the people who own the politicians who appoint the regulators, those people don't want these things to come out, which is why you should join my email list at stillmanwellness.com just in case we get banned, censored, destroyed in the algorithm. It's all happened. So just make sure you're on our list so we can keep in touch with you and help you become the best version of yourself. So bottom line, there's tons of copper being applied to our food in agriculture. You have no idea how much you're getting, but even if it's a tiny, tiny, tiny proportion of that, even if it's one one hundredth, it's actually still relevant. And we're going to talk about why. So one of the top reasons for me to be concerned about copper is that in my practice, I have seen that copper really destroys people's minds. It will drive them totally insane. And this is, in fact, the, uh, the, the um, inspiration for this is that someone I know recently uh, came to me and was acting very um, abnormally. And I was really concerned for them. And, and they immediately made me think about what we call in the functional and integrative medicine world, copper toxicity, which is what you'll see when people get too much copper that's unbound. We'll see these people have often low copper levels on their hair tissue testing, but then in time, as we get them on the right protocol, you'll see huge elevations in copper as their bodies get rid of it. And they, along with that process, see that they get better and feel better and are performing better. Okay. So What's the deal with copper and the brain? So the associations of dietary copper with cognitive outcomes, the ARIC study, dietary copper intake may be associated with cognitive decline and dementia. And I'm going to fast forward through the methods, which were interesting, but not riveting to their conclusions. Higher intake of dietary copper from food was associated with higher risk of incident dementia among those with high intake of saturated fat. Higher intake of dietary copper from food was associated with greater decline in language overall. Therefore, a diet high in copper, particularly when combined with a diet high in saturated fat, may increase the risk of cognitive impairment. If you look at the foods that are high in copper, they're all healthy. Greens, beans, um, certain vegetables, um, nuts and seeds, right? And we're going to talk more about some of those things later. But what I want you guys to realize is really simple, okay? We're not living in a state of nature. We're living in a state where tons of copper sulfates being sprayed on our food. And I would put it to you, this is just my hypothesis, and I'm just a, sometimes joke, I'm just a simple country doctor, although I also joke that I'm a fancy wellness doctor. Both of those things I think in a way are true. We're also living in a world where we're getting huge amounts for all we know of copper sulfate from pesticide applications. What if we're gonna do just fine with a high copper diet? And the real problem is that that copper sulfate is pushing us over into a copper toxic state. That's where I've come down on this issue as I'm going to spin out as we go. Now, why the saturated fat copper problem? I wonder if this is because these people are not getting enough omega-6s. Uh, yes, I said omega-6s. You know, burn me at the stake. Um, it's a long story. We'll go cover it in a masterclass one of these days. You do need omega-6s for optimal brain function. It's not like you can live without them. They are an essential fatty acid. Essential meaning you need it or you really suffer and don't do well. And then also the effects of omega-3s. We're going to talk about that in a Taiwanese study in a minute. 
And that's why I eat fish and I still eat nuts and seeds for the omega-3s and the omega-6s. Okay. Anyway. Uh, all right. This study, let me pull it up. All right. Dietary intake levels of iron, copper, zinc, and manganese in relation to cognitive function, a cross-sectional study. I thought this was a great study. Um, they're in their, their background, they say there are still relatively few studies evaluating the associations of dietary intake levels of iron, copper, zinc, and manganese with cognitive function. So what they're doing is they're looking at these intake levels and they're looking at how people are performing cognitively. And what they found in the study is that the, among the study participants, the mean values of daily dietary intake were 13.3 milligrams for iron, 1.4 milligrams for copper, 10.7 milligrams for zinc, and 3.3 milligrams for manganese. Compared with the lowest quintile of dietary iron intake, the highest quintile was associated with lower cognitive score. Huge red flag right there. If you haven't watched my videos or, or listened to my webinars on iron, I've got multiple of these in Fundamentals of Wellness. You should know that the Fundamentals of Wellness and Coaching Program, which that video is in right now and is available, um, that's going away. We're going to shut off uh, entry to that. I can't remember what it is, but sometime this week, we're only letting like 10 or 12 people into the program. So act now if you want to get access to those. Um, but I talk about high iron all the time. High iron intake is a big problem in our modern world. And so it's not surprising to me that higher iron intake is associated with poorer cognitive performance. These people are getting iron overloaded. And that's one reason why I'm often finding myself recommending uh, blood donation for people for optimal health. Anyway, 1.4. Uh, sorry, where was I? Uh, okay. Higher dietary copper was significantly associated with poorer cognitive function. And the mean difference in cognitive score between extreme quintiles was negative 0.52. Um, those are points by the way, on their tests and score that they're doing. So what does that mean? It means the higher the dietary copper, the worse the cognitive performance. Okay. We did not observe significant associations for dietary intake of zinc and manganese. Zinc and manganese are really interesting. You will find that most people do really well at some point and in some combination with zinc and manganese. And I believe this is because our diets tend to be low in them in relative terms and because copper as well as other toxic metals compete with zinc and manganese and push them out of the body. And in addition to that, we actually have significant, I would call them significant exposures to MMT, which is a chemical that contains manganese that is added to our leaded gasoline. And so I think the copper we're exposed to is a way bigger deal. And you don't see high intakes of zinc in people's diets because from what I know, they're not actually used as pesticides. All right. The risks of copper toxicity contributing to cognitive decline in the aging population and to Alzheimer's disease. Uh, this is a great article. I've read this multiple times and I won't, I'll skip the first part because it's just preamble. But he points out in this article that the epidemic of Alzheimer's disease is associated with the use of copper plumbing and the taking of copper in multi-mineral supplements, which is why I'm a big, um, I, I am a big opponent of people taking copper blindly. You need that to be tailored to your unique context, your labs, your data, your case, not guessed at, okay? Food copper, organic copper, is processed by the liver and is transported and sequestered in a safe manner. Inorganic copper, such as that in drinking water and copper supplements, largely bypasses the liver and enters the free copper pool of the blood directly. This copper is potentially toxic because it may penetrate the blood-brain barrier. 
I review a web of animal and human data that tightens the noose around the hypothesis that copper toxicity is causing an epidemic of Alzheimer's disease and loss of cognition in our aging population. Okay. Translation. Food copper is safe so long as it's in food. When you look at how animals and plants, let alone microorganisms, use copper, they use it for all kinds of things. But when you find copper in biological systems, it's tight bound to enzymes and it's tightly bound within organelles like mitochondria. And the reason is that free copper is a disaster at a cellular level. Free copper is actually a significant source of free radical damage. And that's why if you look further into the Alzheimer's literature, which we're not going to review today, you'll find that there's lots of studies out there where they look at free copper levels and they look at um, bound copper or copper that's been complexed to a peptide levels. And they find, lo and behold, that the copper that's uh, the, the higher the free copper and the lower the bound copper, the worse the brain is. Okay. So I'm a big fan of looking at copper because when I see that copper is out of control, like a high serum level or a low ceruloplasmin level in the blood, that is, or even a, a low, let alone high copper level in the hair, I know that copper is not being handled properly. And this person needs my help to be able to use the copper that they have so that it doesn't basically destroy their biology on its own. All right. Dietary habits, selenium, copper, zinc, and total antioxidant status in serum in relation to cognitive functions of patients with Alzheimer's disease. All right. So oxidative stress plays a crucial role in the neurodegenerative process and can impair cognitive functions in the prevention of Alzheimer's disease and adequate consumption of dietary antioxidants may be a major factor. The objective of the study was to estimate selenium, copper, zinc, and total antioxidant status in the serum of patients with Alzheimer's disease in relation to their cognitive functions and dietary habits. I'm going to skip the methods part because it's just not that interesting. Significantly lower concentrations of selenium, zinc, and total antioxidant status and higher copper-zinc ratio in the serum of patients with Alzheimer's disease compared to healthy people were observed. Translation. People with Alzheimer's disease have lower levels of selenium, zinc, and therefore a lower total antioxidant status. Selenium and zinc are critical as parts or components of your antioxidant machinery. So it makes sense that if you had a low status for zinc and selenium, you would end up having a low total antioxidant status. Totally makes sense. Higher copper to zinc ratio in the serum of patients with Alzheimer's disease. What did I just tell you? When I see high copper, I know that it's out of control and it's creating oxidative stress, which runs down the total antioxidant status, right? And ruins the body over time. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about fixing the copper zinc ratio in the serum and fixing the copper zinc ratio in the hair, because wow, do people feel better when you do that? A low correlation between the MMSE, that's called the mini mental status exam score and total antioxidant status in the serum of Alzheimer's disease patients and significantly higher mini mental status score values in patients with TAS above the reference range were also noted. Translation, if you have a low, and the mini mental status exam is a really simple screening tool that doctors use to assess someone's mental state. So basically the lower your score on that exam, the worse your brain is functioning. And we're talking about basic stuff, like can you remember what you had for breakfast, right? So they saw a low correlation between that score and total antioxidant status in the serum in the Alzheimer's disease patients. And they saw a significantly higher score in the people with a better antioxidant status, implying that your antioxidant status has a lot to do with how well your brain is doing. 
in patients with serum con copper concentration above the norm, significantly lower mini mental status exam values were found. Translation, the higher your copper, the more likely it is that your brain's not working well, which is why it just blows my mind that there's people out there who are like, all of you need more copper. I almost struggle to find a worse recommendation for the average person than just blindly eat stupid amounts of copper. And I say that as somebody who actually looked at that a long time ago and thought, wow, that seems like it makes sense. I can see why people would need more copper. If you cherry pick all your data and you don't survey the literature broadly enough, you will fall into this pit and it will make you sick and make you miserable. And I don't want that to happen to you. So learn from my mistakes. Okay. Anyway, uh, where were we? Um, yeah, that's about it. Okay, dietary patterns and foods associated with cognitive function in Taiwanese older adults, the cross-sectional and longitudinal studies. The goal of these studies was to find dietary patterns and foods associated with cognitive function. This was a survey done in uh, Taiwan, uh, both in 2014 to 2016 and 20, or sorry, 1999 and uh, 2000. They surveyed over a thousand people both times. Here's what they found. We found in both genders a dietary pattern associated with higher mini mental status exam scores, which was characterized by higher intakes of fresh fruits, nuts and seeds, whole grains, breakfast cereals, coffee, dairy products, seafood products, and fish. Now, hold on a minute. A lot of you might say, wait a minute, I thought grains were bad. I heard they were terrible. I heard breakfast cereal was trash. Okay. What kind? Where is it from? How much are you eating? This all matters. It also matters what latitude you're at. Taiwan is a tropical country, if I'm recalling correctly. It's at least a hot, sunny place. It's not exactly cold in Taiwan at any time of year. And that's actually really important because you'll notice that the I, I joke with people that we're the only animal on planet Earth that eats a non-local, non-seasonal diet and argues about what to eat. All the other animals in nature are eating a local seasonal diet they do not have epidemics of obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer. We're the only one on planet Earth that's like, what should we all eat? Let's all argue about it. And then let's live indoors and be inundated with EMF and, you know, be mean to one another and not understand healthy, fruitful relationships and healthy interpersonal dynamics. And, you know, let's, you know, drink really sugary soft drinks and all the other things that people do to burn their houses down, quite literally. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So the foods you need to meet the environmental stresses you're under in your local environment, those foods grow where you are. Where When you're in a sunny place, you need foods that grow in sunny places because they contain the nutrients necessary to deal with the extreme intense light. I can back that up. Not right now. It's a long story. That'll have to be another Monday masterclass. So anyway, um, let me get back into the paper. Uh, moreover, in women, the pattern included a few additional items tea, eggs, soybean products, and vegetables. Presence of mild cognitive impairment was inversely associated with the dietary pattern score with declined adjusted odds ratio from Turtile 1 to 2 to 3 in both men and women. Okay, using this data as a baseline along with 11 years of follow-up, we found that the Cox proportional hazards model that higher intakes of either tea or fish but not other foods was associated with a lower risk of developing dementia. Higher intakes of both tea and fish were associated with an even lower risk. Let's unpack this dietary pattern just a little bit more, okay? They said higher intakes of fresh fruits, nuts and seeds, whole grains, breakfast cereals, coffee, dairy products, seafood products, and fish. Notice what they did not say. 
They don't mention meats. Frankly, you know, Taiwan's got to be a tough place to get meat because it's an island in the South Pacific, right? Not exactly a place where you're going to have lots of grass-fed beef. Um, so maybe their beef there is poor quality, which would actually really significantly impact its effect on their health. Um, in addition to that, the other things that jump out to me uh, are the fish seafood products. So the omega-3s there, selenium is there. There's a lot of other micronutrients in, in seafood as well as iodine. That's very important. Um, nuts and seeds, very high in copper, as we're going to talk about. Whole grains, also high in copper. But all of these foods are high in minerals and vitamins. They're not processed food, right? And if we know anything about nutrition that everyone can agree on, even the people who say they can't agree about anything, it's that processed food are bad or is bad and more whole, whole organic natural food is good. And people will quibble and argue about the organic distinction and I'll give them that and leave it for another day, but that's kind of the bottom line. Okay. So I want you to take this, take away from this, right? If it was copper period as the problem, we might not see this association between a lower risk of low mini mental status exams. We might see that the people who ate more nuts and seeds had worse brains and mental function. Same thing with the whole grains and breakfast cereals. Why? Because those foods are very high, relatively speaking, in copper. This goes back to what I said in this paper, right, where the food copper is processed in the liver, but inorganic copper from things like drinking water or copper supplements, as well as copper that would be on food or could be on food from pesticides like copper sulfate would bypass the liver and just go straight into the blood. So I think that really matters. I don't think food copper is a problem. I think that additional copper is a problem. And I think that driving your, your dietary copper up to crazy levels without the other minerals to balance it is a recipe for disaster. So anyway, their conclusions, a dietary pattern characterized by high intakes of phytonutrient rich plant foods, fruits, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and vegetables, tea and coffee and protein rich foods, such as eggs, dairy, and fish, was associated with the presence of better cognitive function in older adults. Higher intakes of fish and tea combined showed a long-term protective effect. What you're getting from the tea, by the way, is the uh, phytonutrients uh, that make it a powerful antioxidant and, uh, and creator of, I would say, good health and longevity. All right, let's talk a little bit more about nuts and seeds. So when I see someone and I'm looking at their dietary data and I'm saying, okay, your copper intake is low. I'm looking at their hair and I'm saying, okay, we need to add copper to your, uh, your supplement protocol. Um, one of the things I'll do is I'll talk to them about nuts and seeds. Why? One of the things we know about nuts and seeds is that nut and seed intake actually reduces your risk of death. And if there's anything I want to do for my patients, it's reduce their risk of death, right? That's, I think the number one goal, my goal anyway. So, what I see is that people do better when they're eating a certain amount of nuts and seeds. Now I pick and choose what to recommend to them. Chia seeds, flax seeds, walnuts, pine nuts, pecans, tree nuts. Are we talking about seeds like pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds? It actually does matter for a really wide array of reasons. But you, know, you might think, or you might walk away from the copper and dementia literature and say, wow, I'm never eating high copper foods again. All I'm going to do is eat the occasional greenery, and I am going to, in addition to that, eat some, maybe some root vegetables or maybe, maybe some fruits. And then I'm just going to eat, you know, animals because they're low in copper. I don't think that's the right approach because nuts reduce your risk of death. And believe it or not, nuts, I believe also reduce your risk of dementia. And let's talk about it. 
So recent advances on the effects of nut consumption on cognitive improvement. So nuts contain bioactive compounds, including fatty acids, macronutrients such as proteins and dietary fibers, micronutrients, and polyphenols. These act synergistically, preventing age-related diseases. Epidemiological investigations have established that high nut consumption reduces cognitive impairment risk, suggesting it is useful for cognitively impaired individuals. This goes back to the fact that dietary copper from food is not bad unless you get it in some kind of crazy overabundance or excess, and if it's not balanced by these other minerals. One of the things that's interesting to me about this paper from Taiwan is this. If you're eating a lot of these copper-rich foods, but you're also eating protein-rich foods, you're also going to be getting things like manganese and zinc. And that's another thing about nuts that's really worth mentioning. Many of them actually have more manganese than zinc. What did we find in one of the first papers that I noted or, or looked at? We found that the zinc and the manganese, as they increased in the diet, didn't increase risk of dementia, which would go along with the idea and my belief that these minerals are necessary for us to harness the power of copper and put it to work for us instead of having it poke holes in the foundation of our health. All right. Nuts reduce oxidative stress. They're active substances, including glands reginin A, proanthocyanidins, quercetin, and nut oils have significant anti-inflammatory effects. That last piece, nut oils having anti-inflammatory effects, that's actually really important. Right now, a lot of you are hearing that nut and seed oils are bad for you. I think that saying that nut and seed oils are bad for you is a little bit like saying spoons make people fat. It's just not fair. Highly refined, processed, um, poorly preserved or improperly preserved nut oils, I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But that's not the same as saying that organic pistachios that you harvested out of your best friend's backyard or anything but good for you. I'm very convinced that nuts and seeds are part of a healthy diet, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. All right. Regenerative and protective actions of the GHKCU peptide in the light of the new gene data. You guys all know that I love copper peptide GHKCU, just what copper peptide is. You guys probably all know that I love LifeWave patches, which are these patches that you put on your body and they stimulate peptides like GHKCU. I keep getting over the wall, or I should say over the top testimonials for these in my practice. People are telling me that scars are going away, eyebrows are growing back, um, long-term injuries and pain is being mitigated. I mean, it's great. I love it. I love it so much that now I give people in our executive physical program a sleeve of X39s just because I want them to get the benefit and I don't want to find out if they're actually going to buy them from me. I just want to include it in their package. And we've had some pretty amazing testimonials out of that. Like the other day, a woman told me that she had an elbow fracture and she had ulnar nerve entrapment and she couldn't use her hand. Her hand was just frozen. And she waited a, a month and a half um, for it to heal and it wasn't getting any better, like zero improvement. She starts using the X39 patch. 10 days later, she tells me she had 40% use of the hand back. That's amazing. I'm very pleased with that result, which is why the X39 patches are what I start people on. So anyway, what does this have to do with copper? I hope it's obvious. One of the reasons copper creates problems for people is that it's not harnessed by things like peptides and proteins. So the copper binding peptide GHKCU is a small, naturally occurring tripeptide present in human plasma that also can be released from tissues in case of an injury. Since its discovery in 1973, GHKCU established itself as a powerful protective and regenerative ingredient, which is currently widely used in skin and hair products. 
it is used and it has all these benefits. And I won't go over all of the benefits, but let me tell you, I see this in the people all the time who come to me who are on the X39 patches. They tell me these are amazing products and they're really happy with the results. And this is why they're seeing that benefit, right? One of the reasons why I love these patches is that I am really concerned about the effects of unharnessed copper on the populace. And I am sure that this is part of the solution to all this copper, copper running amok and destroying people's lives, as I'm sure it is. So you can learn more about that by going to my link tree, which is in the description of this video. The HTMA webinar I alluded to, Minerals in Your Mind, will be on Friday with my friend Clark Engelbert. And we will be talking about this topic as well as others. You can find out about LifeWave patches through my link tree by going to the Unlock the Power of Copper with LifeWave patches. And if you don't know already, this is a Monday Masterclass. Monday Masterclass is something that I put out from my Substack, stillmanmd.substack.com. You can sign up and subscribe there if you would like to get a notification when this video is done every week on Monday. I'm actually going to be changing it to mornings soon, but it'll still be done on Monday. And if you want to join the list at Stillman Wellness so that you can get notifications about our webinars, HTMA courses, other courses, just go to stillmanwellness.com, enter your email, and you will get three emails usually a week uh, letting you know about everything that we're up to. So as always, everyone, thank you for watching. Take care. Have a great day. Don't forget to get outside.